Welcome to Down to Earth but Heavenly Minded Podcast. Hosted by Irving Rich, God our Savior. 1 Timothy chapter 2 verses 1 to 7, 1 Timothy chapter 3 verse 15, and 2 Timothy chapter 4 verses 1 to 2. By James Boyd. The House of God. Now while it is true that the blessed risen Lord committed the preaching of this gospel to the servants whom he had fitted for the purpose, it is also true that only in his power was the testimony to be maintained in the world. He tells his followers that it was necessary that he should suffer, and that he should be the first that should rise from the dead, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name. But he commands them to tarry at Jerusalem until they should be endued with power from on high, Luke chapter 24 verses 46, 49, and this power he speaks of as the promise of his Father, the Holy Spirit, Acts chapter 1 verse 8. It is in the power of this Holy Spirit that the testimony of God is maintained on earth. There is no power in the natural man for anything but evil, neither is there any power for good in the man born of the Spirit, unless he is also indwelt by the Spirit. A new nature has not in itself the power to fulfill its virtuous desires. Its aspirations are all right, but how to carry out into result the good that is inwardly appreciated the one born of God is at a loss to discover. The good he would, he does not but the evil that he would not, that he does, Romans chapter 7. The power of the new life is the Spirit of God, and where he is. The soul is free from the law of sin and death and in walking after the Spirit he is able to fulfill the righteous requirement of the law, Romans chapter 8 verse 4. He is not only born again, and is born again filled with desires to please God, but a power has come into him, and taken possession of him in a way that enables him to fulfill the right desires of his renewed mind. It is so as to the service of God. The flesh can contribute nothing. Its activities are valueless in the things of God. Whatever is done for God in the world must be done in his power. This Paul seems to have had to learn after he had been caught up into the third heaven. The Lord allowed Satan to send a messenger, which Paul speaks of as a thorn for the flesh, to buffet him. It was really the care of the Lord for his servant that allowed Satan thus to trouble him. The natural pride of the flesh would, on account of the revelations given to him, have puffed him up, and thus rendered him unserviceable to Christ. But this thorn was something which seems to have crippled him in his preaching, 2 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 10, and made him contemptible in the eyes of those who looked at things from a human standpoint. Three times B goes to the Lord about this thorn, but the answer of the Lord to him leaves no doubt on his mind that, in sending this messenger to buffet him, Satan had overreached himself, and had made Paul a more valuable servant than ever, for all that is done for Christ on earth must be done in his power, and his power is made perfect in weakness, 2 Corinthians chapter 12 verse 9. Therefore the Holy Spirit is here to carry on the work of the Lord. He takes up those gifted by the risen and glorified Christ for the service he has committed to them, but it is he who takes them up, and it is he who uses them. The vessel is fitted for the gift put into it, but the vessel is also filled with the power of God. And so we can well understand the Lord telling his servants to tarry in Jerusalem until they should be endued with power from on high. They had received their commission, and their work was set before them, but they were not to attempt to set about it in their own might. The body is the vessel of the spirit, and he will use the members of the body, but that which the man is morally has come under the judgment of the cross, and he will not use that. If he refuses the flesh a place in his favor, so that a man has to be born again if he is to be in relationship with God, we may be very certain he will not use the flesh in his service. But the spirit of God being here in connection with the testimony of God, it is necessary he should have a house wherein to dwell. And it is important to see that God has a dwelling place on earth. That he is omnipresent we know, and that in him we live and move and have our being we read in his word. 
but man from the beginning was taught to look to the heavens as the dwelling place of God, and only on the ground of redemption did he take a dwelling place on earth. As soon as Israel was delivered from the hand of the enemy and led forth as a people whom he had redeemed to himself, he says, Let them make me a sanctuary, that I may dwell among them. Exodus chapter 25 verse 8. He dwells with men on the ground of redemption. Moses set up a tabernacle for him in the wilderness, and afterwards, when in the land, Solomon built him a house. But as that whole dispensation stood or fell on the ground of the fulfillment by man of his obligations, it very soon came to nothing, and their house was left to them desolate Matthew chapter 23 verse 38. Now, on the ground of the redemption accomplished by Christ, we have the saints builded together for a habitation of God through the Spirit, Ephesians chapter 2 verse 22. By the ministry of Christ upon earth this house was builded, and when he was glorified the Holy Spirit came down to take up his abode in it. And from that day until the present a divine person has been dwelling here below. The first epistle to Timothy was written to the end that the servants of God on earth should know how people ought to behave themselves in that house. The first and most important thing referred to is, that, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks, were to be made for all men. Why was this? Because this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Saviour, who will have all men to be saved. And to come unto the knowledge of the truth. The one who dwells there imparts his nature and character to those who compose the house. He has assumed the character of a saviour God on behalf of all men, and to this wondrous and blessed fact those who compose the house bear witness. Supplication is to be made for all men, for the grace of God goes out to all in the gospel, and the house is the pillar and base of the truth. In relation to this attitude of God toward a world in revolt against him. It is important to see this, for there are many and great truths which are not unfolded in this epistle, such as our eternal relations with God, children, sons, the spirit of sonship, the Father's name, eternal life, and our relations with Christ as his brethren, his body, and his bride. It is the light which shone out in Christ down here in the surrounding gloom that is to be maintained now that he has gone on high. In the power of the Holy Spirit through this marvelous structure which is spoken of as the assembly of the living God. I may say that there is added to that which came to light in Christ in the days of his flesh the fact of his death, resurrection, and exaltation to the right hand of God. But the house of God takes the place of Christ, as the witness of the grace and love of God to the world. It is important to keep distinctly before the mind that there are two thoughts connected with the house of God, they are, first, God's dwelling with us, and, second, our dwelling with him. The latter is more that which is presented to us in the Father's house of John chapter 14. There it is a wonderful and everlasting place of blessing which is set before us, in which we shall enjoy to the full the sweetness of companionship with Christ and sonship in the unclouded light of the Father's face. As holy and blameless before him in love. The joy of that holy and blissful scene no creature tongue could tell. With that unspeakably blessed place the notion of testimony cannot be connected. It is all for the delight and satisfaction of the heart of the Father and the Son, and for our eternal happiness, rest, and joy. But with the thought of God dwelling with us is introduced the idea of testimony and responsibility, though what is testified is not the joy of our relationship with God, but what he is in his grace to the world. In the darkness of which we are set to shine for him. In the lives of those who compose the house the true character of the gospel is to be delineated, and for the truth of that gospel they stand in the midst of this ruthless and God-hating world. Like a rock in the midst of a raging sea, and bearing a light which penetrates the surrounding gloom with the bright rays which emanate from every living stone in the building of God. To guide the despairing and storm-tossed mariner to the only haven of refuge. In that testimony every Christian is said by the very fact that he is a Christian. He may be a faithful or an unfaithful witness, but a witness he is, if he has taken the place of a believer in Jesus.
in the epistle to the Philippians we have saints in the brightness of first love, and we see that all their energies are directed to the end that God as a saviour might be kept before men in the testimony of the gospel. Their fellowship was with the gospel from the first day until the day in which Paul wrote to them, and in the defence and confirmation of the gospel they were all partakers of the grace of the apostle. To him they had often ministered the carnal things, and the desire of the apostle for them was that their manner of life might be in harmony with that gospel which was so dear to their hearts. And what was true of the Philippians is just that which should be true of all who profess his name. It is well to know how we ought to behave ourselves in the house of God. Those who are living stones in that building are in the light of the revelation of God, and this is the secret and strength of their testimony. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. This is the mystery of all the piety which comes to light in the house of God. And without controversy this mystery is great. It is the revelation of God in the Son down here in flesh and blood. This is what illuminates that glorious structure, a light which is above the brightness of the sun. This is the great witness to a Saviour God. Here prayer goes up to God unceasingly for all men, for those who pray are in the mind of God, who will have all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Rulers are taken account of, and prayer goes up for them that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. And the power of God is sought for those who go forth preaching the glad tidings, Acts chapter 4 verses 24 to 30. Where rulers set themselves against the testimony of God the attention of the Lord is besought to such, and for those who preach supplication is made, that with all boldness they may speak thy word, by stretching forth thy hand to heal, and that signs and wonders may be done by the name of thy holy servant R.V. Jesus. When Peter was cast into prison prayer was made for him without ceasing, Acts 12. And almost in every epistle Paul desires the prayers of the saints, that the word of the Lord may have free course, and be glorified, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 verse 1. Of course, in speaking thus I have the house of God before me according to its true character, not that which it has come to in the responsibility of those who never learned how to behave themselves in it. False indeed it is as a witness for God in the midst of this darkness, and therefore it shall in the end be rejected by him, Revelation chapter 3 verse 10. In the days of the apostles it had already become obnoxious to the judgment of God, and Peter tells us that the time had come when judgment must begin at it. And this is not, as some have thought, mere discipline, which was ever the portion of those beloved of God, Hebrews chapter 12 verse 6, but it is judgment in the sense of the execution of wrath. It has its parallel in Ezekiel chapter 9, where the executors of the judgment of God were to go through the city of Jerusalem and smite, and their orders were to begin at my sanctuary. If God begins to judge. That which is most privileged, and which lies nearest to himself, but has been unfaithful, must be the first to feel the brunt of his anger. Surely none of his own will be suffered to perish, but that which professes the name of Christ in this world will as certainly come under his judgment as did the sanctuary in which for centuries he had his abode. But if that which bears the name of Christ, and which is responsible to maintain the light of a saviour God in this dark world, has so miserably failed, as is manifest today. We are not bound to follow in its footsteps. Our eye need not be turned to it for our guidance in our path of testimony. The house is still here, and God by the Spirit still dwells in it, and we have plainly put before us in the Scriptures the conduct becoming such a holy place. There is all the more reason, now that the multitude have gone astray, for the individual to hold up the standard of truth, and to order his walk and ways according to the character of him who has manifested himself in the person of his beloved Son as a Saviour of the lost. When the profession goes to the bad the man of God has an opportunity of showing his faithfulness on behalf of his testimony to whom he owes so much. 
were things in the profession of Christianity as they should be, how irresistible the testimony would be. The desire of the heart of Christ for his own was, that they all may be one, as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us. That the world may believe that thou hast sent me, John chapter 17 verse 21. In such a state of things the spirit would be ungrieved, and the glorious light of the gospel would shine undimmed. The house itself is not a preacher, nor does it direct attention to itself, but its privilege is to be so in the enjoyment of the love of God. That all who come into contact with it shall be made to feel that God has an interest in the salvation of their souls, in short, that he would have all men to be saved, and to come to the knowledge of the truth. The moment it directs attention to itself it has become a false witness, a soul-murdering ignis fatus, like the decoy lamp of a wrecker, which lures the storm-tossed mariner to destruction. Therefore it is of all importance to have the heart well in the light of the love of God. We have no light in ourselves. Like the moon, which is entirely dependent on the sun for all the light it can minister to us in the still hours of the night, we are dependent upon the Lord. For it is only in him that we are light, Ephesians chapter 5 verse 8. Hence in the darkest day depicted by the pen of inspiration we are exhorted to keep ourselves in the love of God, Jude chapter 21. If our souls are kept continually basking in the warmth and comfort of that radiant light, there is no danger of our not bearing faithful testimony for God in the midst of this gross darkness. Ephesus was threatened with the removal of her candlestick because she had left her first love, Revelation chapter 2 verses 4 to 6. The saints there had allowed the world to come between them and the love of God, and that evil eclipse left their hearts cold and desolate, and they were of little service to God in the way of testimony. And if they did not shine, there was but little reason for keeping the candlestick in the place. It was not there for ornament, but for use, to hold a light for an absent and rejected Christ, and if it did not do that, and it could not do it where the heart was full of the world, there was nothing for it but the removal of it out of the way. In speaking thus of the house of God there is no thought of a material building. As I have shown, the building is composed of living stones, believers on the Lord Jesus Christ. Nor am I thinking of their service, in the way of prayers, and intercessions, and giving of thanks for men, as only going on when they are gathered together. We read that men are to pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands, without wrath or doubting. The house does not exist any more when the people are gathered together than it does when all are occupied with the daily avocations. Prayers are to go up continually to a Saviour God, and men are to pray everywhere. There are places where women are to be silent, that is, in the assembly, 1 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 34, but men pray everywhere, and at all times. In the light of what we have been considering, how foolish and wicked the thought is that the time for gospel testimony is over. When that day comes we shall be glorified with Christ, though even then there shall be a testimony go out through others. But with that day over all testimony would be over, for there is no other testimony to be rendered. And we must keep in mind that in 2 Timothy, where the evil is depicted in its most awful colours, we have the Apostle telling the servant of the Lord to do the work of an evangelist, 2 Timothy chapter 4. When the blessed God abandons the character of a Saviour God it will be time enough for us to speak of the testimony of the Gospel as come to an end. That this day shall come to an end we are well assured, but it is not so yet, therefore the reader may not despair. For still is it true that, him that comes to me I will in no wise cast out, John chapter 6 verse 37.